0: Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We have a guest speaker with us, and we hope that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Listen, we are really, really glad to have Alan Griffin uh, with us. Uh, He is no stranger to our church, been here several times. I have a uh, friendship with Alan that that predates our Tallahassee days when I was in in Kentucky. And Alan is an evangelist and itinerant evangelist, preaches all across the nation, camps and conferences. He's going to be at Alabama camp this summer. I'm not sure if we're going to be there that week, but we might. I'm just, you know, we'd love to... Love to do that. Uh, Alan uh, preaches all over the the country. He also is the president of Accelerate uh, Organization, which is a ministry designed for those who have aged out of the foster system, foster care system. So his ministry provides transitional classes for them to go to, teaching them life skills. But also, once they complete that, Uh, That program, Alan gives them the keys to a car. I mean, because you need a car today. So uh, it is a great ministry that Alan does in the pulpit and with foster care kids. Now, let me say, too, Alan's an itinerant evangelist. He's like self-employed. How do evangelists make a living when they go to churches? Man, we, we bless them, okay? And the pandemic was difficult on everyone, but especially evangelists, when people weren't having services, they were having online services. So uh, this morning, as, as God leads you, on the drop-down, you can write a check, put it in the box. But on the drop-down, there's a guest speaker, missionary. Man, let God speak to your heart, and let's bless Alan. Someone sent him to us. Let's send him somewhere else. Would you make welcome to Generations Church this morning, our friend, Alan Griffin.
1: Thank you, Pastor. It is so good to be here this morning. Good morning! I know you're like, oh snap, he got coffee. I did. I did get coffee. I didn't get enough though, so you 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 lucky, because if I had the full dose, it'd be on, because coffee is the black version of the Holy Ghost. It's the extra dark version. I'm going to tell you right now. This morning, I want to preach and talk to you about your victory, because mm-hmm. you might not even know it, but Throughout 2020, 2021, there's victory all in your life, all upside your head. And I'm going to help you see it today. In fact, grab your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 8. And while you're looking that up, I do want you to know that last time I came, it was a year ago, um, I came by myself. hmm But this year, I have my sons with me, so I feel like I got protection this time, you know what I'm saying? I got like big, strong, handsome men. So my two sons, Israel and Isaiah, are right over here on your left, my right. Will you guys wave at everybody? They're like, don't look at me. (laughs) But I just want you to know that um, Israel is a senior in high school, um, and they just last week... Uh, won the district championship in basketball, my, both of my sons, and and uh, went to regionals and had a not-so-happy ending at regionals. But these guys are champions, and I'm just excited to be your daddy. That's all I'm saying. Shoot. hmm Y'all ready for the word this morning? Those of you that are streaming online, I'm going to tell you right now, you better get ready, because we're going to have some fun today. Luke chapter 8, we're going to start at verse 40. If you're there, say hallelujah. If you're not there yet, say, uh-oh. Okay, y'all better hurry up. I told you I'm going to be fast today. I got the energy this morning. Uh, here's what I'll do. Um, after our gathering here in the, in the building, you can go right outside the doors And my sons will meet you at the table. Hopefully, I'll get back there too. But I believe we're going to have some time praying, not only uh, for your needs, but for the needs of those that are streaming as well. So if you're here and you're like, man, I need a healing in my body. I need a breakthrough. We'll be praying for that at the end of our service today and believing God for great things. But right outside there, the doors in the lobby. You can get some of our latest ministry materials. We have um, our our book, best-selling book, Undefeated, that you can get back there. It's all about living in supernatural victory. And uh, if you want me, I'll sign your book back there. But we have that book available. We also have our series called Bad Hair Day. And I'm going to tell you right now, God has been working on me with messages about identity and purpose. And this series is all about supernatural victory through understanding our identity and our purpose. And some of you here are like, well, wait a minute, I don't have any hair. Exactly. (laughs) I know how you feel, you know what I'm saying? But it's all about the stories of old that show us who we are in Christ and what God's doing through his creation Woo, if you knew your value, I'm telling you right now, and you can get that series back there. Also, we have a t-shirt. I don't always have shirts, um, but this shirt, I felt like America needed this shirt right now because America needs Sunday school. I'm not talking about a classroom where we sit down together. I'm talking about Sunday school is a person. It's you. You and I are the gifts that God has given our community to teach them about God. And one of the songs I learned in Sunday school was this. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Remember that song? We sang that Sunday school. Well, at my church, we had like a whole mixed up bunch of kids, and we used to shout out our favorite color. So you know what happened. They'd get to red and yellow, and they hit the black. I'd be like, black! You know, I'd be screaming loud about the black color. And it was funny because nobody else used to scream except me. And so I convinced the white kids to scream white. So they'd be like, white! You know? And then the the Asian, we had one Asian kid in our our whole Sunday school. the Asian kid would be like, I'm not yellow, but yellow! You know? It was great. Oh, my goodness. But you know what we learned? We learned that together we're better. And so I love that when we're in Jesus... He loves all of us, and then because of him, we get unity. Through him, through Jesus. Isn't that what our country needs? Is a little bit more Jesus that allows us to walk in victory and unity and love and peace. Lean over to your neighbor and say, "Mm mm-hmm. So when you wear this shirt, you can take your whole community to Sunday school. There you go. Wow, that landed right in front of you. That was good. You sit close to me, you get stuff. I'm just saying. You sit close to me, white chocolate right there in the second row, you get stuff. That's what happens. You sit in the front row. (laughs) Luke chapter (laughs) 8. By the way, my Pookie says hi. She's probably streaming right now. Hey, Pookie. What's up? Now, when Jesus returned, Luke chapter 8, verse 40 says, A crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting Jesus. Then a man named Jairus, what was his name? Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet. That's a big deal. Pleading with him to come to his house because his own daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Mm. As Jesus was on his way, I love that, because it seemed like Jesus did a lot of things on his way. It seemed like Jesus did miracles on his way to miracles. Jesus had breakthroughs of people on his way. In fact, if I could name Jesus' life with a title, it would be pardon the interruption. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. I I emphasize that. They almost what him? Crushed him. That's a big deal. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. I love the way the King James Version says it. It says that she'd been bleeding for 12 years. She'd been under the care of many doctors and spent all her money, but instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard that Jesus was walking by, she thought to herself, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be made whole. Let's go back to NIV because I I had to take you back. Okay. She'd been subject to bleeding for twelve years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately, Peraclemma, immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Now let me do it again. Wait, let me get. Let me look like Jesus. Hold on, because that's basically the only difference. Everybody knows Jesus black. Jesus goes, hey, who touched me? Now, some of you here are thinking, oh, Alan, you are so dramatic. That is not how Jesus asked that. Jesus is the son of God. So when he asked it, he said like this. Hey, who toucheth me? That is not what he said. He said, hey, who touched me, man? Let me show you how I know that. When Jesus asked it, they all denied it. If Jesus said, who bumpeth into the Messiah? They'd go, it was me, I'm sorry. But he said, hey, who touched me? The whole crowd went, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 it wasn't me. They all denied it. All of them. Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that dunamis, that power has gone out for me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling. What's that word I just said? Trembling. How did she appear to Jesus? Trembling. Have you ever been so scared that you were trembling? That's pretty scared, y'all. So not only did Jesus demonstratively ask who touched me and everybody in the crowd deny it, but when the woman came forward who'd just been healed, she was trembling with fear. This is important. How many of you have read this story before? How many of us have read the story and noticed that she was trembling with fear? And that everyone denied touching Jesus? This is an interesting scenario, and I don't know about you, but I've read this a lot of times and missed a lot of things. She came trembling at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Father, this morning, in the short time that we have, we pray that you would supernaturally transform us by the renewing of our mind in your powerful word. Lord, I pray that you infuse in us victory not only in activity but in mentality in Jesus name and everybody say amen amen you know I noticed that throughout biblical times people were seem to always be bumping into Jesus they always seemed to be around Jesus he seemed to bump into people all the time but some people bumped into him and some people touched him and there was a difference A big difference between bumping into someone and touching someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thinking of bumping, uh, it was 1979. And I had an image of who I thought Jesus was back then. Some of y'all like, I wasn't even born yet. Be quiet. It was 1979. There was a concert in Detroit, Cobo Hall. I grew up in a little town called Grand Rapids, other side of Michigan. And there was a huge rock and roll concert from a band who was probably one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time. I probably couldn't name a song they sung, but they were cool, okay? I thought they looked like Vikings when I was a kid. And this band played a concert that was so popular and so thrilling that people camped out for almost two weeks to get into the concert in Detroit, known as Rock City. What was that band's name? Kiss. Never forget it. I didn't go to the concert. I was seven. But here's what I knew. I knew that when the Detroit Free Press came out, on the front page of the Detroit Free Press, said, Kiss explodes in Detroit, you know, all this stuff. But the part I noticed the most was a little caption down at the bottom on the left-hand side of the page. Actually, no, it's the right-hand side of the page that said, two grandmothers were at the KISS concert, and they were at the front doors when the doors were opened, and they got crushed up against the doors. Both of them needed minor medical care, and both of them were fine. And I remember thinking, whose grandmama was at the KISS concert? And whose grandmama was at the front door? How long was grandmama there waiting to get in? And who has the coolest grandmama on earth? Those people do. Unbelievable. But you know what else I thought? This is funny. It's true. These grandmamas, you knew these were some grandmamas that were not either black grandmama or country grandmama because black grandmama and country grandmama would have never got stomped at the door. Black mama would be like, I wish you would push me one more time. I spank everybody in this place. And then country grandmama would grab her shotgun and be like, shh, shh, push once more. Do it again. <laughs> this was some of those go on the corner for time out grandmamas. But man, I remember, you know, looking at that article and thinking, man, That must have been the way Jesus was because Jesus had people crushing and pressing to get around him. Jesus had to have been the world's greatest rock star, right, because people always were trying to get to Jesus. They were crushing and pressing around him, but you know my little seven-year-old brain didn't quite get it. Jesus was more than just a happenstance or a cool right now thing. He wasn't just a fad or a phase. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and if the people during the time of Christ really knew who he was, they would have never been crushing around him. They would have lined up and waited because they would have known that his love won't his power has no end his kingdom is forever but these people let's dive into this were crushing but one woman set to touching Jesus yeah but when the Bible says she touched him and you read that in, in, in the New Testament which was mostly written In the language of the the Greek people, the Greek language kind of fails to describe what she touched. Um, So we have to transliterate and literally go back into those times to figure out what she touched. When the woman reached out and touched Jesus, what she actually touched was not his robe. She touched this, his prayer shawl. She'd reached out and touched one of these tassels on the end of his prayer shawl. It's called a seat zit. That's what this is called, a seat zit. And this is called a talil or a talit. She reached out and touched just the tassel on Jesus' prayer shawl. Now, what's important about that is what she touched actually was not illegal for her to touch. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But his prayer shawl, and when she reached out and touched it, she fulfilled the prophecies in the book of Malachi. That says, the days that are coming burn hot like an oven, and every evildoer will be, will be stubble, says the Lord thy God. During that time, the scripture says, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. Isn't it interesting that the Jewish people, the men, would wear this prayer shawl. They'd walk around wearing this. Now, they're a little bit shorter than I am. I'm six foot three. But when they walked around with their full prayer shawl, it would reach the ground. The tassels would be right off the ground, just like that. And so when she reached up and crawled to Jesus, this was what she could actually reach, a garment that represented his intercession and his his desire to bring healing. Isn't it funny that when the Jews would walk around wearing this, the Romans would say, Oh, look at those Jewish men walking around with wings on. They called them wings. Malachi said, The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his. <laughs> this woman was one who received her healing through Christ's intercession. Wow. A touch. So much different than a bump. You ever gone somewhere that's really crowded and people get too close to you and you start to get irritated? Doesn't that drive you nuts when people stand to you? Doesn't it drive you crazy when there's a big open parking lot and somebody parks right next to your car? You can't even open your door. Don't you just want to open your door and be like, Pow! But then the Christian you kicks in, I hate that Christian version of me. Doesn't let me do it. I was a missionary for about six years, a little bit over six years in Hong Kong. I know I don't look like it, right? You're like a big tall black man in Hong Kong. I know, dude, it was fun. Every time I walk around, people are like Shaquille O'Neal, I'd be like, no, Alan Griffin! <laughs> One time a kid goes, Michael Jordan. And I was like, Yes, I am Michael Jordan. I signed an autograph and everything. I'm probably going to hell. Um but, man, while we were there, it was so cool that while we were there, um, I, I would go to coffee shops. Lots of coffee in Hong Kong. And I used to love sharing my faith in coffee shops in Hong Kong. And, and we did all kinds of other things during the evenings with, with young adults and with youth and students. And but, but during the day, I would spend a lot of time studying, preparing, meeting with pastors, and then going to coffee shops and just striking up conversations with people and sharing Jesus and inviting them to church. And so while we were at a coffee shop, I noticed a cultural thing in, in China. If I went into a coffee shop and it was relatively empty and I sat by myself the next guest who came in would invariably sit right next to me whole place is empty sit right next to me whole place is empty they would sit right and at first it frustrated me because I need my space you know what I'm saying I'm not I'm not a little man I need some gap room but these people would come empty place come and sit Right next to me. So finally, I asked pastor. I was like, Pastor Billy, why are these people every time? I mean, and they make witnessing really easy. But why are they coming and sitting? There's empty seats everywhere. He says, honor. I was like, what are you talking about, honor? He goes, to us, distance is waste. We, we don't want to waste all these seats in here, there's full tables that people could sit in with their family. And why would we waste that? When you're sitting alone, we'll ask you if you're sitting alone. And if you're sitting alone, we don't want you to be alone. And we don't want to waste any other seats. And so if I only have one guest or two guests and you have one guest and there's three empty seats, we're going to take them. To honor those who are coming in and to honor you with the company of not being alone. Distance is waste. See, I think we live in a society, and I think it's long before COVID, that was afraid of touch and getting weird about touch until COVID hit. Now, we can't wait to touch somebody. But for a while there, we were getting weird about touch. In fact, we got so weird, man, it got to the point where I'd say, hey, man, we went out there and ministered to people, and we touched a lot of people today. And invariably, somebody would be like, touch people. That's naughty. That's naughty. Because we were somehow letting the world steal our touch. And it got to a point where it was even strange. And I'm not talking about, you know, people doing the wrong thing or or stranger danger. That's real. But I'm talking about a, a, a society that has gotten to the point where we have to have a bubble around ourselves at all times. That we've forgotten that we are a people who touch and need to be touched. That touch is valuable. It is important. And I want you to know something. COVID ain't new. Same thing was happening during Jesus' day. Same thing. Matthew chapter 19 verse 14. Check it out. When people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them, the disciples rebuked them. (laughs) You're sitting there thinking your whole life. Why did the disciples do that? Because they were bothering Jesus? no they were afraid jesus was gonna die keep reading the disciples rebuked him jesus said let the little children come to me and do not hinder them or i'll bust a cap that's in the ghetto international version he said for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he placed his hands on them, he then went on from there. Let me explain what was happening in this scene. There's a lot of things happening culturally in this scene. First of all, during the time of Christ, children had very little value. Okay? Little kids, Almost no value. You know why? Because parents would have a lot of kids because there's a lot of kids that would pass away because of diseases. So there was strength in numbers. They would have lots of babies and hope that many of them would survive. But when they were babies, they didn't have any rights. They didn't have any privileges. They didn't have anything. They were just free-range kids running around like little, naughty little feral animals. And I'll show you, I'll prove it to you in just a minute. And during the time of Christ, the average person lived to about 45 years of age would be considered a full and long life because of disease. So you have these little kindergartners running around dirty as a mug don't sit and look at me and act like your kindergartner is clean you know them little kids ain't nothing but a petri dish with legs walking around with bacteria all over they got bacteria on their ear, on their ear in their hair they got bacteria on the shoulders i'm like how did you get dirty on the back of your head they do it they figure it out so the disciples see these little kids coming to Jesus, who's 30-something years old, who's already a senior. And they're like, you better get away from Jesus, your little dirty little self. Get your dirty little hands off of the king of kings. You're going to make him sick. He's going to die. And then I'm really going to have to get mad. And Jesus goes, leave him alone. Let him come to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to the ones that have no power. Oh, I'm preaching already. See, Jesus talked about the kingdom. And when he talked about the kingdom, everybody thought it was a top-down government. And what Jesus said is this, if you're going to come into my kingdom, you have to come as a you have to you've been born once, but now you have to be born and you have to come in as a child. So what he said is this government is not just above the people, but this government is through the people, and it goes beneath the people, and it supports them from the bottom up. I'm going to lift you up. He said, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you, and I chose you. Whoa. They'd never heard anything like that before, because they thought until a baby reached a certain age, they didn't even matter. Jesus said, you matter the whole time. Even if it's dangerous, you matter it's getting good so the disciples struggled with the understanding of kingdom why because of culture okay there's culture and then there's kingdom and when we understand kingdom the way jesus described it it gets real good let me show you what culture looked like back then first of all from zero to six years of age in the Mishnah, the children of Galilee experienced this kind of a culture. From zero to six years of age was called the freedom period, where little kids did whatever they wanted. They wanted to run the streets, they ran the streets. You see little, little uh, Jewish practicing Orthodox Jewish families, you'll see the little kids, if they're under the age of six, pretty much free. Doing what they want to do. I was at the uh, hotel in Canada during Passover uh, at the uh, Niagara Falls. All kinds of Jewish families in that hotel. Those little kids were so naughty. They were so. I spanked two or three of them in the elevator when their parents weren't looking. I mean, they were everywhere. They were. It was unpulling fire alarms. I mean, it was throwing garbage cans off the balcony. It was crazy. Okay, so this this is not unusual. This is normal. Zero to six years age freedom period. Six to ten years age is what's called Beth Safir. This is deep, but it's not too bad. Beth Sefer is the time where they memorized and studied the Torah. From 6 to 10 years of age, they would memorize the Bible and, and the, the Bible as they knew it, and they would study it in silence. That's pretty cool. So from 6 to 10, when your kids are driving you crazy, the Jewish people in school uh, observe silence, no, no talking in school for four years. From 10 to 14 years of age is a period called Beth Talmudu. Beth Talmud, that's when they memorized the teachings of the Talmudic, the prophets. And they would spend their time uh, studying for about two years. And then at 12, get that, from 6 to 12, they were silent. But from, from at 12 years of age, they were able to ask questions for the first time. How do we uh, uh, equate that? We can equate that with Jesus in Jerusalem. His family leaves him behind, right? And he's at the temple. And what is he doing? Asking questions. How old was he? Twelve. it's good, isn't it? I'm teaching you something. Okay, just keep going. Then from 14 to 30 years of age, they'd enter a period called Beth Midrash. Beth Midrash was called the the house of study or even the house of suffering because during the period of Beth Midrash, kids would leave their their, uh, 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 school and they would choose a path, one path or another. There wasn't a hundred like we have today. One path or another, you follow in the steps of your father and do your father's business, or you go and ask a rabbi to teach you to become a rabbi. So Jesus at twelve years of age said to his mother, I must be about my father's business. Interesting. Who is his dad? God. It's deep. I like that. You'll- it's all gonna to flow together. It's gonna to be so fun at the end. We're gonna hug. Okay, watch this spiritual hug. Watch this. This is so fun. So, during this period, here's how they did it. Rabbis walking down the street. They could not go to the rabbi's house and do this. They had to catch the rabbi in the street. Rabbis walking down the street. They would chase the rabbi. I'll do anything if you teach me to be like you. I'll do anything. I would do anything for love, okay? Anything. And the rabbi, <laughs> this is my favorite part, would look at him and like, all right. And so they'd follow the rabbi. He'd follow me. They'd follow the rabbi. But then the rabbi would exact a price based on his desire to teach them. I love this idea. Like, hey, you, you reap what you sow, right? So <laughs> if that kid was naughty, Rabbi would be like, you're going to be 500 bucks because you a bad little joker. I can't stand you. Ooh, 500 bucks. And then a the nice kid would be like, five bucks, man. Let's go. And he'd be like, what? What am I, Chop liver? You reap what you sow, sucker. Oh, I love the Bible. Every teacher wishes they could do that right now. Naughty kids charge them more, wouldn't that be great? Their parents would learn real quick to watch their kids and stop letting their kids run like a crazy fool in school. Show your kids what's up. Your kid costs 500 bucks. Is there is everybody mad at me now? <laughs> So this was the progression of a child from birth all the way to becoming a rabbi themselves. And if they choose not to do their father's business, but they feel a calling on their life to serve a rabbi, they would serve that rabbi from 14 years of age till 30 years of age as a slave as a servant, and they would do whatever that, 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 that rabbi wanted. At a certain age, the rabbi would call him a disciple, and then that, 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 that young servant would be like, ooh, I done stepped up. And they would serve with their head up and their shoulders back, and, and, and then they would, at 30 years of age, be able to have their own students and start their own teaching. So now you get a little bit of how it worked. You had almost no value Until you entered the workforce, whether it was for your family or for the rabbi. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus introduces a new concept, and he says, listen, I'm all about a kingdom, and my kingdom is different. Even those at the bottom have value. See, when you reach past the age of 14, you are no longer considered to be chosen or to be go out and choose a rabbi. By then, they're in the workforce. So what does Jesus do? He goes out and finds some 20-year-olds that are out there working, Peter, James, and John. And he goes, Hey. Come on, follow me. I'll make you fishes of men. And they're like, wait a minute, what's going on? Rabbi wants me? I'm not chasing rabbi. Maybe Peter tried to chase a rabbi. And the rabbi said, I want $10,000, Peter, with your crazy behind, cutting people's ears off. You're too violent, Peter, go fishing. And Jesus picks them. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose You. That's the difference right there from the very beginning. When I could not come to Jesus, Jesus came to me. He picked me. He chose you. He picked you. He didn't just create you, He likes you enough to choose you, and He wants you to follow Him. And this is the difference, but it doesn't stop there. You see, the disciples were different. Here's how they were different Jesus called them not slaves, not servants. They didn't have a period of Beth Midrash. Jesus called them his friends. John chapter 15, verse 14. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends for everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. We even sing about it. We get excited. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. Yeah, I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. We sing it all the time. But guess what? That's just the entry point of the kingdom. Look at your neighbor right now and say, You're not supposed to just be a friend. You might even want to say this to your wife Oh, baby, you. (laughs) Don't do it, don't do it. (laughs) You're not just a friend. Listen, Jesus didn't leave them there. He allowed the progression of transformation to take place relationally. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, he says this. While Jesus was still talking to a crowd, his mom and his brother stood outside. His mom and his brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. Somebody said to him, your mom and your brothers are standing outside. They want to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mama and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Hold up. So Jesus didn't leave his disciples as his friends, which they would have been more than happy to be. Jesus said, you're not just my friends. You're my family. We
0: are family. Woo! I got
1: all my brothers and sisters with me. Hee, Why is this so important? Why is this so important? Because everything Jesus did was about kingdom. Jesus didn't just a step. Come on, where's my piano player? Come up here and make me sound spiritual. Where is he at? Come on, handsome. chocolate prince yeah. a handsome man look like a holy ghost Luke Cage you know it's true quit flexing you're good I love this guy I love your passion I love how you don't hold back People today in this room walked in kind of sad. We felt it, didn't we, Pastor? And you started singing and we all got, hey, we felt something. Something in you quickened something in us. Jesus. I don't know how else to tell you this. Jesus had a jacked up family. So when Jesus came to earth, he understood you and I. Some of us who may not have a perfect family, I, I, I would tell you I had a pretty good family. I, I, I wouldn't say they were perfect, but I'd say they were really good. I love my mom and my daddy. My daddy passed away in 2012. My mama passed away a month ago. I couldn't ask for better parents. But Jesus didn't have it like I did. Jesus had some trouble. So when he established his kingdom, he established it understanding what you and I would go through. That you and I would need family outside of our family. That we need a spiritual family outside of our physical family because our physical family sometimes and many times and oftentimes fails us. Jesus had to deal with that. Think about it, he was born to a virgin. Her name was Mary. When Mary came home from Bible study and her parents said, what's going on? She said, hey, mom, dad, I'm pregnant and the daddy's God. You think her parents were okay with that? They were not. Her fiance's family was not okay with that. In an honor dishonor culture, it was the honorable thing for her husband's family to murder Mary. That was the honorable thing within their culture. Remember, there's a difference between culture and kingdom. In the the culture of their day, she was to be killed or at the very least thrown out of community. Because she was a hussy, so to speak. No one could quantify who the father of her child was. And it absolutely was not Joseph's boy. So much so that when Jesus would walk around, they say, there's Mary's boy. You know, that was a curse to say that. Jesus would try to identify himself with his family by calling himself the son of man. Because he couldn't call himself the son of Joseph. Everywhere he went, they called him that word. Do you know what that word is? The fatherless child word. They didn't like Jesus. They didn't like Mary. I'm not just talking about community. I'm talking about Joseph's family. Oh, Alan, you're stretching things. You're you're taking too many liberties. Really, I'm not. Because when G, when, when Joseph's wife was pregnant. She was nine months pregnant a year ago. You were nine months pregnant. He took her on a 17-mile journey to Bethlehem. And the family, his family, did not let them in the house. People sing about it all the time. Why didn't they let them in the house? Why, Why do you think it wasn't their relative in her womb? Oh, Alan, you're stretching it. You're going too far. You're, you're doing this. You're doing too much. Okay, okay. After Jesus was born, where did they go to live? Where did Mary and, and Joseph go to live? Egypt. They didn't go among their family for protection. They went to Egypt. Interesting, huh? Passover, 12 years old. They take Jesus into Jerusalem. While they're in Jerusalem, Jesus goes missing, and nobody in the whole group saw him. The whole family missed him 30, 50, 100 people. No one saw, nobody saw, really? No, they, they saw the naughty little James who ate the last cookie, but they lost Jesus who sneezed and multiplied the rest of the cookies. They lost. The good one but they kept the naughty one no 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 they were like we glad that little mm, word is gone when Mary and Joseph looked at them among the family they're like got that little thing everywhere Jesus went his name wasn't heralded and lauded he was the son of a woman not the son of a father who was cherished in community so much so that Jesus began his ministry the moment his father called him out and said, He's my son. He goes down in the water. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. When he pulls Jesus out of the water, the father from heaven has to say it, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Vindication from God. And everyone who is there goes, Oh snap. All this time, we've been calling him a bastard. And Jesus begins his ministry. We know that his kingdom mattered to him because at the end of his life while he's dying on the cross, I love this about Jesus. While he's dying on the cross, he's caring for others. He looks at a man and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He looks down at his mama from the cross and goes, Mama, hey, my little brother James, James, you're going to take care of my... Nope. 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 Who did Jesus ask to take care of his mama? John. Was John related to him? No. John the Baptist was. John the Beloved was not. John the Beloved was part of his kingdom family. He said, you are my brother and my sisters and my mothers. And he really believed it because when he couldn't quite trust James, he knew he could trust John. Some of you here have family members you can't trust. But here in this room, there's people that you would put your life in their hands. Why? Because there's something that bonds us more than our family line, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. It unifies us. It draws us together. We think that james later believed he was the messiah after christ resurrected that's when james got got his act together and we get a book out of james in the bible fascinating i'm almost done y'all ready for lunch i'm thinking about barbecue barbecue i'm almost done this is this is you're gonna like this okay this this matters to you and i because this touch thing is so important jewish people have a, a very touchy-feely community. They, they're they all about touching, okay? Men would hug men. You'll see men in Israel holding hands and walking around. They don't have those weird uh, intimacy issues that many of us deal with. They, they're very touchy-feely. But there's something in their culture that you need to know about that plays into the story of the woman who had the issue of bleeding. They have a custom called Shomer Nagia. Yeah, Shomer Nagia, everybody say that, Shomer Nagia, yes, very good, and and, and that means with regards to touch, if you meet a woman who's a practicing Jew, a Jewess, a beautiful woman of God, and and you meet her, and you go, hi, she says, hi, if you're a man, and there's a woman who's a a practicing orthodox, even Hasidic Jewess, do not reach your hand out to touch her hand, because you don't know if she's practicing Shomer Nagia. And so what men are to do is you meet a woman who's a Jewish. You might know because she has a wig on. You can pretty much tell it's a wig. If you're not sure, just ask, are you Nagia? And if she says yes, then then you you just kind of do what I do. I just kind of bow and smile. and I say, God bless you. If if you meet them and they say, no, I'm not Nagia, or if they're wearing gloves, they usually wear gloves because they want to honor you and be able to shake your hand and not make you feel awkward when they don't shake your hand. How many of you felt awkward the last few months when you haven't been able to shake people's hands? Shoma Naguya is practiced so that lust doesn't take over society. It's considered a commitment of a woman to purity and to the men of her community to honor them by not allowing them to touch them. because touching someone is honor as well as not touching someone is honor.) Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Shomen is also when a woman is on her monthly cycle or when a woman is ceremonially and socially unclean. But remember, this is an honor-dishonor culture. So this woman is crawling on the ground. She reaches up and touches the tassel, the seat zit of Christ's talent. And she's instantly healed. Jesus turns around the crowd and goes, Hey, who touched me? He's ticketh offeth. And everyone around goes, no, not me. Mm." It was him. It was him, Jesus. Look look at that smile on his face. You know he did it. And this woman, who is Shomer Nagia, comes out trembling with fear. Why was she trembling with fear? Because a woman who's Nagia in an honor dishonor culture, if she were to touch somebody or a bunch of people, she would be making them ceremonially and socially unclean. She would have made the Messiah unclean. But you and I know the inside scoop. If she didn't actually touch anything illegal, she touched his prayer covering. But does the crowd know that? Does a raging, riotous crowd know that? No, and what that crowd would normally do is if that woman touched a holy man or touched someone she wasn't supposed to touch, they would drag her outside of town, put her at the base of a cliff, and drop rocks on her until she died. That's why she's trembling. But get this. She didn't care that much. Because she said to herself, I'd rather die than not tell Jesus how grateful I am. I'd rather die than not let him know I'm grateful that he healed me. He restored me. He loved me enough to make me whole. I'm not going to hold back his praise. I'll bless the Lord even if it costs me my life. She tells the whole truth. (laughs) I reached out and tested. I got healed. And Jesus healed her with a touch, but he saved her life with one word. He healed her with a touch, didn't he? But he saved her life with one word. I believe the one word we're about to learn, and I'm done preaching, okay? We're gonna start praying. I believe this one word is going to change our entire community. I believe this one word is going to shift everything about us. I believe this one word is the coming out party of the church in 2021. I believe this one word is going to change how we touch people in this society with honor, whether it's physically or supernaturally. This one word is going to change everything. This one word will heal the divide. This one word will destroy racism. This one word is going to break down financial and physical uh, distances. This one word can separate, can take the separation and destroy it and draw us together. One word. One word. Jesus looked at her and what was the first thing he said? (laughs) Daughter. See, when she was telling her story and everybody knew she touched Jesus, they're picking up rocks, man. Little Roger Clements is over there grabbing a rock. They're picking up, they're getting ready to drag her tail out of town and murder her for touching the, Jesus, for touching the Messiah. You mess with my rock star, I'll kill you. But Jesus looked at her and said, daughter. And that would have been a lie if Jesus didn't believe it. That would have been a lie if Jesus didn't say, Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. He said, he said, your family, your family. Listen, the word that's going to change our country is family. That's what's going to change it. And like Alan says, we got all these problems in our country. Fiscal problems, man. We got emotional problems. We got more people committing suicide than ever. We got depression reigning in the streets. Man, we got people can't even touch each other. We got all these issues. Let me tell you something, man. What's going to fix every single problem? People go, oh, it's Jesus. Oh, no, no, no. It's not just Jesus. It's what Jesus taught. We are family. That is what's going to change this nation. That is what's going to heal our nation. That is what's going to bring the peace that passes all under Understanding. This is what Jesus said. You believers are my family, and them, our neighbors, those people are our neighbors that are to be loved as if they were family. What would happen? <clears throat> If the Messiah appeared today and said, you're my little brother, you, what? That girl got up off the ground and everybody was like, oh my goodness, this is beautiful. That's his family. That's his family. This is a beautiful moment. The only people that can touch a Shomadagia are their family. And isn't it amazing that her family of God healed her? I mean, everyone got on board right then. What would happen if you walked out of here and went into Publix? You saw somebody you never met before. You said, hey neighbor, how you doing? I wanna be a part of your family. I don't just wanna be your neighbor. Let me tell you how, his name is Jesus. And when I couldn't come to him, he came to me and he forgave me. and if I pray for you right now, he can forgive you and both of us, we won't just be neighbors anymore and I love you as a neighbor, but I really want you as family. What if we stopped trying to save people from sin and we started saving people from being alone? I can't forgive your sins anyway. What if we just said, I wanna be with you? I wanna spend time with you. I wanna be in your life. Whether you serve God or not, you're my neighbor. But if you serve God, you're my family. And I want more with you. I want to, I, if I could just say, it, I wanna touch you. According to mandates, some of the only people we can touch is family. <laughs> your family. I'm going to teach you in just two minutes how you can touch your world without ever physically touching them. How we can obey the mandates of our laws of our land and honor people with a real touch. They'll never be the same again. Are you ready? It's so simple. Okay, I'm not deep today. I'm just historically bringing stuff up. But I want to show you how to touch people even when they won't let you physically touch them. Even if you got to keep six feet distance this is how you touch people. It's so good. It's called a blessing. And we're going to walk out of here today blessed, blessed, blessed. Everybody say it with me three times. Blessed, blessed, blessed. What are we going to be? Blessed, blessed, blessed. What are we going to be? (laughs) Do you know how a blessing works in rabbinical circles? Really simple, three things. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Number one, identity is blessed. So everybody say identity is blessed. Remember, this this is what Jesus received from his father. This is my beloved son okay number two they bless history so everybody say bless history and then they bless future all right so everybody say your future is blessed this is a, a, how blessing works in the jewish house in the jewish faith in the jewish traditions this is how jesus was blessed by his father he he identified him he promoted him and then he pushed him he, he identified him he promoted his past and then he pushed him immediately after that blessing jesus went right out in the desert to be tested he 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 identified his son he promoted his son and then the holy spirit Pushed him into the, into the promises of God that are only experienced through some trial by fire. Mm-hmm. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Blessed, blessed, blessed. This is how it works. Handsome worship man. I don't know why I can't get your name to come up in my brain right now. Brent, sorry. I was distracted by your dazzling good looks. Brent, you are a man of God. That's his identity. That's who he is. So when you bless somebody, you look at them in the eyeball and you tell them who they are. You are a man of God. Okay? Then you tell them historically what they've done that pleases God and has brought joy to your life. You know what? Every time I've come here, your joy and the purity of your heart in worship has brought An excitement in the spirit to my soul. I walked in here today having last week gotten canceled because a church leader had COVID and was going, oh God, I can't do another week without income for our ministry. And I walked in here today going, God, I know you're going to take care of my family. I know everything's going to be all right. And I looked over at my two sons and their hands are up. They're worshiping God. And I was like, this is all that matters. This is what matters. This is what we need. Thank you for investing in my children. And then we go to the future. I like to start it with this term. By God's grace, songs, blessing. Influence, God's going to open doors for you that from this very platform, tens of thousands and even millions of people are going to feel what I felt and experience what my sons experienced. And God's going to enrich you so that you can do the things you want to do, not just the things you need to do or you have to do. In Jesus' name. That is what a blessing looks like. So before you leave today, there's two things you get to do. Number one, you can go from being our neighbor to being our family. Number two, you get to bless and be blessed. All right? So before you leave every man in this room, I want you to find five people and bless them. Ladies, I want you to find five people and bless them. But you have to start with those who are here with you. It has to start in the family of God. It has to start in your house. All right? Any questions? So how does the blessing go? It starts with what? Identity. Then it goes to the past, history. Then it goes to the future, futuristic, if you want to call it that. All right? Awesome. Now, don't think you're going to be able to just get up and walk out when I'm done talking. I will tackle your tail. I ain't scared of none of y'all. I'm a hurricane fan. We don't know how to win, but we know how to hit people illegally. (laughs) I'm in trouble. But maybe you're here right now and you're thinking, Alan, you know what? I want to be a part of the family of God. I don't just want to be a neighbor. I I love being a neighbor because Jesus said to love our neighbor as ourself. There's not to be any difference between how we love our family and how we love our neighbor. But but I want to be closer. I want to be in. If that's you, you're like, man, I got sin in my life, but I need Jesus to forgive me. I want to be in the family of God. Pray for me, preacher. If that's you, when I count to three, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to be real. So when I hit three, you're just going to wave at me. If you have loved ones that need that prayer, I want you to wave for them, okay? Okay? we're going to believe God not only for those in this room but those who are streaming and those who are our loved ones around the globe are you ready? One, two, three. wave at me. You got loved ones or you yourself says man I want to be in the family of God yeah man I got family too yeah. Take that hand put it over your heart awesome <laughs> say this prayer with me say Jesus come on lift your voice generations and say dear Jesus Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your life so I could have a new life. I want to be in your family. So I need forgiveness of every sin and failure so I can be yours forever. And now I have you forever in Jesus name now, Father, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters who, w- who waved, those online, those in the room, Lord, those who waved and those who could not wave because they're not able to receive this message right now. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would invade every place of our lives and our families and our loved ones and that you would bring them to you, Lord, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost and preaching the gospel everywhere they go. We ask that our loved ones would find their way to the cross and that, Lord, it is there where healing takes place. It is. There there where our identity is established. It's there where our past, a sinful past, is erased. It is there where our future is promoted and we are pressed into victory. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody say, Amen. 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 Will you give the Lord a hand right now? Just give him a hand of praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah, Jesus. In a moment, I'm gonna loose you to go jack each other up with some love. But here's the deal. You have to be blessed five times to walk out those doors. Five times. Five. How many times? Do I need another meal right now? Look at me. I do not. I am not in a hurry to go eat lunch. Because me eating lunch hasn't healed our country yet. I don't need to run and go see my grandkids. You know why? You've been watching them little grandkids for weeks, and they're still naughty. In fact, you help them do naughty things, Grandma. We know it. And you can do whatever you want because you're Grandma. But what we need... What... The world needs now is love, sweet love, so bad. You walked in here and I I saw you spiritually living for God serving God. If you put a mask on to show people you you love them and you just want to come to church and be with them some of you risk getting sick to come here. You love God. Ain't no doubt you love God. Anybody go to church right now, you a Christian, you're going to heaven, okay? But here's the deal. What your soul needs right now is a blessing. You need it bad. Let your soul drink today. Let your soul eat today and give as much as you receive, okay? Before you do that, I wanted to come uh, come back to you from last year and say thank you. You were, I think, either the last or one of the last churches I got to preach in from February until Almost June and uh, you invested in our ministry you kept us going thank you stinking awesome I love your face you're amazing I'm so grateful you know last year um, we weren't able to have classes for accelerate got shut down because of COVID but we still gave away cars to kids Because you gave foster kids that had no hope, that had no one to have their back, that during COVID, no one could come see them and they couldn't, they didn't have anyone that was family that could be with them. Everyone was strangers except the family of God. And so we were able to give away food. We were able to deliver groceries. We were able to still give away cars last year to students that came of age, that turned 18 and graduated high school, started college, started jobs. Because of you, they have hope. In just a few weeks, I get to finish spending your money. That's right. You gave. I spent it all. So I'm back. Because the money that we give to Accelerate doesn't go to me. See, my family would have starved, but none of the money was going to come out of Accelerate to feed my family. No, God's people took care of my family, and God's people took care of the the kids in foster care as well. And it was amazing. In a few weeks, I get to give away a 2011 Chevy Impala. It's it's white. It's hot. With a moonroof, son, and leather seats. I don't even have that. My newest car is a 2005, bro. You know why? If you pay off your car, you can give more. Yes, more. So I did. 2005, Ford. You know how I roll. It's black, redneck style out in the parking lot. To a girl named Americus. I shared with you about Americus, but her story changed last year. America's got saved in our Accelerate program. If you want more information, there's brochures at the back. We even have a video and all that stuff. But, we, but America's came to our program, and here's what we do. Kids that are between 16 and 22. They come into our program. We do life skills. We teach them how to handle money. We teach them financial peace university. We teach them how to be debt free. Woohoo! We teach them how to fill out applications, how to get jobs, how to go to college, and how to do all the things that our parents taught us, like how to make an, a breakfast, how to cook eggs, man, everything. We teach all that, how to shop for groceries. But we also teach them how to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We teach them how to read the Bible. What is faith? Who is God? We teach all those things, and then we give them an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior. They get baptized in water, and over half of them then get baptized in the Holy Spirit. We call that bilingual. And so this young girl named Americus was in our program and you gave to help me serve Chandra and Americus, who we both gave cars to. But Americus' car is getting delivered just in a few weeks because everything changed last June. Americus in May moved in with her little brother and little sister as guardian at 18 years of old because her mom was still addicted to drugs. Her mom had visitation with her own daughter to see her daughters and son. Think about that. Last June, her mother overdosed on heroin and died. So now Americus, at 18 years old, she's turning 19 soon, is the sole caregiver for an 8 and 11-year-old. So the car I was going to give her was a cute little Jeep, but I can't give it to her now. So we bought another car. We bought a 2011 Chevy Impala with your money. And it's fixed up. Brand new transmission. It's got a warranty on it for two years. How you like me now? And now she can put her little brother and sister in the back seat and drive them safely to to school. Drive them safely to church because she goes to church in Jacksonville. And I wanted to say thank you. Because her life has not stopped. Her serving God has not stopped. She was at our Christmas party. and We hugged her and I broke every rule. I was hugging her. I was kissing her head. Because I'm Uncle Al and I do what I want. I want you to know that you did that. We have kids this year that are on a waiting list to get into our program. And I'm going to tell you the truth. We don't have any more money. We're starting over in 2021. We spent everything to get those kids set up last year. Will you help us? Every dollar you give helps me serve these kids. This money will not go to me. I get a salary from my ministry. This is Accelerate Youth Development Program, the only nonprofit religious organization authorized by your state to serve kids in foster care in our state, and we do it joyfully. We now have a location in south carolina and a location in right outside harrisburg pennsylvania we're kicking the devil where it hurts and it's awesome thank you for your investment if you want to hear more please come see us at the table but bless five people start with your family before you leave here and be blessed by five people before you leave here all right don't you skip that black man will come down on you hard And I weigh 200 pounds, I'll come get you. All right? It's so important. You've been a blessing. Now receive blessing. Okay? And then when we're done, it's 11.45. We've only been here an hour and 45 minutes. Shoot. Wonder Woman was that long. It did feel like it was 15 minutes too long, didn't it? Wonder Woman. Anyway. So I'm going to give you 15 minutes to do this blessing. That's a long time, okay? So at five minutes till, pastor's going to come back. He's going to come now, but he's going to come back. He's going to speak a blessing over all of you, and then we'll, we'll leave together, okay? And if you have people yet to bless, then knock them out before we go. I don't mean punch them. I mean bless them before we go. All right? Let me pray for you. Father, I bless your people, not in my name. My name doesn't won't even get them a cup of coffee. But I bless them in the name that is above every name. That in the name of Jesus, the words that come out of their mouth will bring hope and healing. That, Lord, we'll discover that distance is waste and that being close in the spirit, not just physically, but in the spirit, is honor. It's honoring what you've made in creation as our neighbor and honoring what you've remade through being born again in salvation. Father, I pray that we would get Gain intimacy in the kingdom of God. Gain touch in the kingdom of God. And we won't waste our touch. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Let me wipe this. We're all family. Oh, you just kissed me. Okay, great. That's great. We are are family now. We are family now. So, uh. Hey, uh, if you enjoyed Alan's ministry, give it up this morning. Amen. Amen. So a couple of things I'm going to let you go. First of all, uh, if you want to give to Alan, there's a drop down on the app webpage. We're going to keep that up over the next couple of days too. You can write a check, put it in the drop box. We want to just uh, support his ministry as much as we can. And then also believe everything that Alan said. All that stuff about handsome and chocolate prints and all that. Just just delete all that. So uh, (laughs) stand up. Stand up. Would you give the Lord a shout of praise this morning? Lord, we worship you. We thank you that we're part of the family, Lord. We thank you, Lord. That you've adopted us, that we are sons and we are daughters of God. Lord, we receive our identity and Lord, we speak hope and we speak blessing upon friends and family today. Lord, we just give you thanks in Jesus' name we pray. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.